Well, thank you, Randy. Boy, it sure is good to, I always say, it. Now, you know, I'm, not, I'm done saying that. I don't see you. I miss you. Uh, I, I had the privilege, uh, as some of you know, to be in Oregon with a few of our folks and a few of the online community this last uh, couple of weeks ago. And di- right during the heat in the most intense part, intense part of the Salem fires, I was actually in Salem with uh, Bob and Joan Thompson and and they said, what are you doing here? And anyway, it, it was unbelievable, the devastation around there. Our hearts go out to that community, Oregon, uh, California as well, and all the way that smoke and, and fires were working all the way to Washington. So, But I was there for five or six days. Uh, just a, It wasn't a few miles away from us. Entire cities were devastated. Uh, evacuations, a lot of people have died, as you know. So our hearts so go out to you, uh, you that have been affected by uh, these fires, it's it's profound. So uh, let, let me open a prayer. I, I'm let me just one more time. We we need to ask the Holy Spirit to be here with us today, and give guidance into this series that we're going to. I'm going to begin to explore the next three weeks with you, which is how to tell the gospel, which we've talked about before, in a compelling way. And we're going to fill in some of the blanks. Now, many of you will often say. Uh, I struggle to share the gospel. I mean, I can talk about Jesus dying and you know being resurrected, which is the the epicenter of the gospel. But what is actually the gospel, and how can we go into it in more detail and make you more effective? So let's pray, Father. We we thank you for this morning. Uh, I'm so grateful for the the privilege to be here with uh, with our family online. Lord, we hate being apart, but Lord, is this is, goes now into the seventh month. Uh, the challenges are uh, are incredible, and we know that churches around the world are going through very similar things during this uh, pandemic. But Father, you can do extraordinary things, and we believe in that you are. And Lord, I pray that you would be in the middle of this conversation over the next three weeks as we talk about uh, the most important thing on the planet Earth, which is this incredible news that's broken in and uh, is being uh, told around the world and affecting lives. And Lord. So help me in Jesus' name, amen, amen. So uh, here's, you know, I want to talk to you first of all, what what really is the purpose of church leadership? And, and in some ways, all mature believers, but primarily I want you to think in terms of four things. And look, I know that we talk a lot about the gospel. We talk about sharing the gospel, but I've never probably gone into the kind of detail that we will over the next three weeks we're going to go into great detail in some of these areas, some of the enigmatic statements Jesus made and some of the elements that I think will begin to equip you to be able to share in a spirit-led way with your friends in a compelling way about this message of the kingdom. So number one, the church, uh, we're responsible for telling the gospel and helping you tell the gospel. Number one, to bring people into the kingdom. I mean, that's a the very task of church leadership. We have many people with us each week that may not even have a connection with Jesus yet. Number two, it's obviously this invitation, not just to be a Christian, but to to go on an extraordinary adventure, which I'll go into more, an extraordinary adventure with Jesus. Uh, That's a different way to tell it. And I'm going to talk to you about ways that some of the world thinks what they think we think about the gospel, which is a strange way to think about it. But then also, we're, we're here to equip you, equip you for this journey and to sustain you on this journey. If you think about, I mean, I remember when we were kids, 
we'd get up and maybe we'd have our vacation. We used to go to Colorado all the time and it was a quite a long journey, at least for little kids it was, maybe 12 hours in the car and we might stop along the way and and uh, may even spend the night somewhere in New Mexico as we met our way from Texas trying to get up to Colorado. And boy, those were, I remember just the, the vivid detail of preparation and planning, but we knew that we were going on a journey. And in doing so, there was a, there were packing and we got ready and we did all these things and we went on this journey and then we would stop along the way and we would have certain places that we would love to stop and, and, uh, you know, all these rest stops and things and stop and look at different things. And we would often stop in Santa Fe and we love stopping in Santa Fe and eat a little Mexican food here or there. But we need, we needed to be sustained on this journey, knowing eventually that uh, we were going to arrive at a destination that was going to be overwhelming. And I think that's a good metaphor for what we go through. But along the way, somebody had to convince me that, in fact, we were going to Colorado. There was a destination. And that's the task of telling. That wasn't hard for my dad to say, hey, look, kids, uh, boys, especially get your uh, fly rods together and get your stuff together. And we'd start practicing in the backyard, doing some fly casting and everything, getting ready for that day that we would actually get on. Somebody had to tell, and it was usually my parents, obviously, and say, this is the date we're leaving. This is what it's going to look like. Here's where we're going. Here's how long we're going to stay. And man, we would get after it. They were, in a sense, telling us extraordinarily good news. And then we would react to that good news in one way or the other. And I can't ever remember a time where we say, oh, we don't believe that. But there are many out there that don't. So how do you tell it in such a compelling way that people are ready to get pack up, get in that car, and start on this journey towards a destination? How do you do that? I know many people struggle. They really struggle. Now, and so what happens, there are default mechanisms. People, rather than actually telling the gospel... They just kind of talk around it. They talk about maybe doing good things. And there's nothing wrong because there's, there's an element in which the, you know, Jesus was clear. You need to, uh, let the, let your good work shine before men that they might glorify your Father in heaven. And so that's not, it's not that that plays no role, but sometimes we just, you know, have people have the impression that if they would just go to church or if they would just do this or that, and we never actually talk to them about the extraordinary adventure of adventuring in life with Jesus, the very purpose for which we were created. I want to first take you to Acts chapter 1. Uh, this is a place in which we will see Jesus' instructions, and there's some things that we're going to glean, and then I'm going to, I'm going to give you a perspective that I think has never been done better, in my view. And I've read uh, uh, volumes, as you can see behind me, about the gospel, but Andy Blackmore does an extraordinary job and, and telling a compelling, giving a compelling way to tell the gospel. And I am going to merely use his framework in the second part of this morning. But first, Acts chapter 1. So if you have your Bible, Acts chapter 1, let's start reading here in verse 1. It says, now again, this is Dr. Luke who's writing this account uh, of the, the very birthing of the church. And this is what he says. He says, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all, now gets this, all that Jesus began to do and to teach. Now, what is it? Now, we call these, again, I've spoken to this in the past, we call these gospels. So the gospel is not merely that Jesus died on the cross, was buried and resurrected. That's the crux. That's the foundation proof. I mean, that's the epicenter, as I said a minute ago, of the gospel. But the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, tell the entirety of the story 
and give proof to the extraordinary good news. And we're going to have to figure out what is that good news? What are we telling people in a more broad, comprehensive way? He says, okay, so I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. So he's talking about Jesus' activities on the earth and obviously about his teaching. Until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. Okay, so this is also part of the story. This is not just that he died, and, and but he there were many proofs along the way of his resurrection and also proofs, as we'll see over the next few weeks, of his divinity and of his authority as king. He says he appeared to them over a period of 40 days, now catch this, and spoke about the kingdom of God, and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave this command. He said, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift of my father that my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Again, part of the extraordinary news. It goes all the way back to the promise to Abraham, uh, that the promise of the Spirit, as we see in Galatians 3. This is amazing stuff. It says, then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? I mean, they were looking for this messianic figure that was going to rise up and overtake their oppressors, Rome at this time, or whoever the oppressor might have been uh, through Israel's history. Is this the moment that you're going to give us that kind of Davidic kind of kingdom, those glory days, that that we look back in the past, of course, Jesus had Jesus had aspirations for something much greater than just the restoration of a physical temple uh, or a physical kingdom, I should say. He had much deeper aspirations they couldn't have possibly fathomed. And then he goes on to say, and he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. And then verse eight, now catch this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and then you will be my witnesses. Okay, so catch this. Holy Spirit's poured out, and then you're going to be witnesses, and then Judea and Samaria, and all the way to the ends of the earth. Now, these guys didn't go all the way to the ends of the earth, so obviously it's not just these disciples, not just these 12. Now Matthias has replaced Judas. It's not just these 12. They didn't go to the ends of the earth. They never got here to Palm Desert or La Quinta, California, or Palm Springs area that we're in. They never got there, but their message, their foundation that they laid got them there. And he says, and he said this. Now catch this. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. And they were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. It says, men of Galilee. He said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who was taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Now, I love this. Now, catch this. Are these two guys, I mean, these two, who is this? I mean, these two that stood in white, probably angels, obviously, and, and here they are. And they said, why do you, what are you doing standing around? I mean, you can, you can imagine the picture. They're standing there as I would be and you would be just aghast, I mean, as they see Jesus ascending into the sky and they're just, you know, mouths opened, completely awestruck. 
And they're just like, what is going on here? And they see him ascend. Now, they had seen some extraordinary things, but this had to be way up there. I mean, I mean, he's ascending into the clouds. And then these two angels are like uh, shaking them. And they're like, what are you guys doing just standing around here? Get to, business, get to your business. You know, I, 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 when I read this, I think sometimes I, it's the same way. I mean, there's a place in which you're so awestruck by Jesus and, and then there's God saying, okay, now there's a hurting world out there and I want you to go tell the gospel through whatever gift you have. Be part of a missional community that tells the gospel. What are you doing just standing around here? Look, he's coming back, but we have work to do. Now, you can't, you can't have come to even any sermons at Church of the Red Door and not hear in some way the fact that we are a missional community, very intentionally a missional community. Yes, we want sustenance along the way, worship and fellowship and, and all that. And we want to equip uh, just to be able to not only tell the gospel, but to, to be a, have a good marriage or on all these. We want to do all that and all those functions, but we are at our core. We breathe, we eat, we sleep, mission. We think about all the people here in the Coachella Valley and any place that we might touch out there, wherever that be, we, we want them to understand the gospel. So the question now is, what is it? Here's what I want to do over the next few weeks. Here's what I would like to do. I'd like to accomplish these things. Number one, I want to help you articulate the gospel in a compelling way. Many of you will know my own story from Luke 14, 23. And the master said to the slave, go out into the highways and along the hedges and do what? And compel them to come in that my table might be full. We have to be able to articulate the gospel in a compelling way. Okay, that's number one. Number two, I want to persuade you that the gospel is again the whole story of Jesus, not just his death, burial, and resurrection, but the whole story, why? Because it all points to proving two things again, and I'll say them over and over, that he was in fact God and that he is the king of the cosmos and has authority over all realms, both the human realm, the demonic realm, every realm of creation. Jesus is the boss. I want to compel you for that. And then thirdly, I want to help you make sense of some of the enigmatic statements that Jesus makes that would not make complete sense without understanding what I'm going to share with you this morning. Next week, we're going to talk about temple and the significance of that. I think it will blow your mind. I think you're going to get so excited about some of this and maybe understand the gospels in a deeper way than you ever have. Again, people say, oh, I can share the gospel. Do you understand the fuller life uh, of Jesus and what he's saying and how he's saying it and how he's communi- communicating it, it's all the gospel, okay? That's number three. And then lastly, I want to help you escape some of the common assumptions the world makes about the gospel, and that will include this issue of hell. And that's what we're going to talk about primarily in week three, okay? Are you ready for this? So again, let me cite. So if I'm if I'm writing a book this morning and I'm not, I'm just doing a message This would be on my bibliography. This would be my citation. I would cite Andy Blackmore, The Bible Project. I love these guys. It's he and a partner out of Portland, and I think they do some extraordinary work. What would we see eye to eye on every way they communicate? No, but that's irrelevant. They do an amazing job 
in my view, of compelling story of the gospel. And I'm going to share with something with you that if I could, if we had the YouTube, we don't do a lot on YouTube. Our presence isn't that large on YouTube, but we would get we would get blipped and we they would shut us down on YouTube if we just took his material. So again, this is from Andy Blackmore. I, I love what he did with this. I think it's a beautiful way in which to view the gospel. So question number one for you, what do you think the world thinks that you think about the gospel? Let me say that again. What do you think, most of your friends out there who don't know Jesus, what do you think they think you think about the gospel? about Jesus, about Christianity. What do you think they think? And and again, here we go. Are you ready for this? So I had my daughter, Tess, and I'm so thankful, Miss Tess, that you did this. I, I created, she's gonna, I said, I need, I need some props here. So she put these together and uh, covered this one in black. So we know that we live in a fallen earth. So this is earth, okay? So this is earth, and uh, this is us living in earth. This is what most people think you think. This is earth, and uh, okay, so we know that it's plagued with pain and suffering and evil, and a lot of times we go, where's God in all this? And If there was a good God, how would he allow this? And here you and I are running around on this earth trying to make sense of who we are and why are we on this planet, and then we come into contact with Jesus and something occurs, and then we tell the gospel Jesus died for our sins, and then one day, so think of it now in a timeline, we live on earth, and as we move through time, one day this earth will come to an end, all right? The curtains will close on this. It will come to an end, and then at some point in the future, well, there's a heaven. We go this way where we go off to heaven or we go to hell. So it's one way or the other. So the world thinks that you think that we live on this earth, we go through time, we're, you know, we're making some mistakes. We're sometimes we're doing well. Sometimes we're doing poorly. We want to kind of try to do a, a little bit. We want to do better. We want to do more uh, on the upside of the line than on the downside of the line, as Andy puts it. And uh, so, and we're making our way through. And hopefully, you know, we've kind of done enough. And then at some point, God will send us one place or another. There'll be the pearly gates. There'll be uh, Peter there, you know, taking notes and asking, you know, what your handicap was and all that kind of thing. And then the other ones, uh, God will then send them into hell, which uh, many would view again, and I've talked a lot about this, as some kind of subterranean torture chambers, Andy puts it. Uh, and, you know, we get a lot of our medieval uh, ideas about this, where God sadistically is tormenting and punishing and taking delight in some way in taking his creation for all of eternity and kind of being the master punisher and uh, that happens in hell for the, the rest of their life. And a lot of people, they they think that you think that that's what it is. And of course, uh, I talk to many people and I go, well, <laughs> yeah, like, well, that 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 is kind of what we think, isn't it? And and as a result, what happens? We try to kind of we get into it, and then somebody says, well, I don't believe in hell, or I think that's ridiculous, or and and we get we get defeated. Now you've got to understand there are. Again, some partial truths to this, but it's not the full narrative of the gospel. It's not the really the story at its very essence at all. It's part, again, as Andy says, it's part of half-truths and quarter-truths, and there, there's a little bit here and there's a little bit there, and it gets close, but 
It is not the story of the gospel. That is not the good news. Why? This is primarily me-centered. Me and my life and my action and my stuff and then eventually my destination and God sending me somewhere based on something that's occurred here. And we talk about or, and by the way, or maybe just my views on theology. You know, somehow I make it along and I have the proper views on theology and then I have the improper views on theology and then based on those views, I go. Again, as I alluded to some men in a study this week, E. Stanley Jones says, this is the good news, not just the good views. Okay, let me say that again. It's the good news, the gospel is the good news, but what is this gospel? It's not just good views on salvation. Good views on salvation are radically important. Of course it is. But it's not just good views. And if you hold the right views, and at some point, God will send you here or send you there based on your views and a few of your actions. And, and so that's what most people think the gospel is. And you may be saying, well, isn't it? Well, if that's not the gospel, what actually is the fullness of the gospel? And so over these weeks, I want to take some time to dive pretty deeply, more deeply than Andy did, that I've heard him talk about, although they are extraordinary. I want to talk to you very specifically. So are you ready for this? Then what is the good news of the gospel? Let's start with this. I want to take you, if you have your Bibles, Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. We could have gone a number of places. Uh, I saw Andy do uh, talk. go to Mark chapter 1, and I'm going to do the same thing this morning. And again, I, I'm, I'm just so... Uh, amazed at the the beautiful creative. I wish I had the kind of technological ability and the creative uh, things to do what these guys have done, but gospel, all right? There's four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We're going to go to Mark, Mark chapter one. Now catch this, Mark one, verse one. You ready? The beginning of the what? The, the beginning of the gospel. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God. Okay, so right off the bat, this is good news, and this good news says that Jesus was the Son of God. Jesus is divine, right off the bat. And Jesus Christ, it's not his last name, Jesus the promised Messiah, okay, the king. So the promised Messiah was going to be a king with great authority, and they, they thought just authority over their little realm, this little piece of land in the Middle East, they had no idea that this was going to be a Messiah that was going to govern the world. Now, they had some allusions to that. Isaiah and others saw that the nations would be streaming. They were talking about it, but I don't think Israel really had the fullness of that in their mind when they were thinking about the Messiah. They were just trying to get the Romans off their back. Now, this is Jesus the King and Jesus God. This is the good news, okay? And then you would think, well, it's going to tell our old narrative. It's going to talk about and telling people they can go to heaven or go to hell, but it doesn't say that. Verse 2 says, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of the one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. They immediately go in the story of the gospel to the beginning of the story of Jesus' life. And what they do is they immediately reference Isaiah who had written some 700 plus years in advance of Jesus. Now, if there's one thing that you've gotten, we spend an incredible amount of time talking about Israel, talking about the Old Testament, talking about Jesus entered the stream 
of Israel's story and consummated their story. This just wasn't a guy who came along, some guru who said, you know, I had some thoughts about eternal life and I here's here are all these truths. You've got to understand, this is what's so compelling to me. And I always share the gospel. I try to take people back and in some way have a con, put a construct in their mind is that God had been talking about Jesus coming for a long time. He enters a story that is already being told. That's what Mark does here. He doesn't just come and say, I spent some time in a cave and I had these, uh, these, uh, dreams or something. And now I'm going to, I'm going to give you the truth about the reality of everything. No, he doesn't do that. He enters and says, I am this guy. I am the Messiah. And not only that, something you wouldn't have seen coming. And I, in fact, am God. I am the king and I am God. That's the good news. The good news is that it has invaded, it has invaded earth. Okay. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more in a second. Now go on again down to verse 14. And after John had been taken into custody, talk, talk the verse, first 13 verses or so talk about John. It says, after he'd been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God, the gospel of God. And you ready here? What's he preaching? The gospel. And how's he preaching? What's it look like? And saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So in his telling of the gospel, he is talking about the kingdom of God is now invading earth. Now you got to realize, we've talked a lot about this. These are realms. These are dimensions. This is an unseen realm. John Stott talks a lot too. And we've talked a lot about the unseen realm. It is invading Earth. It is not one planet crashing into another planet. It is an unseen realm invading the seen realm. That's what the kingdom of God, and that's why Jesus had to use metaphors to describe its entry into this realm. And now notice, and as he was going along by the sea, he saw Simon and Andrew and the brother of Simon casting a net in the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they dropped their nets and followed. Now you've got to understand, folks, that this is the telling of the gospel. Here it is. Are you ready? Describing the kingdom of God and the fact that it's been ushered in and inaugurated by the king. This is the good news. And as it's now into the earth, okay, now that Jesus has come into the earth, what, what next? Well, and now he's going to lead you on an extraordinary adventure. Drop whatever you're doing and follow. Okay, so here's the gospel, right? Jeff, Todd, my brothers, and my sister Julie, we're going to Colorado. I know this is very exciting news for you, and we're, we're extraordinary. Drop whatever you do. Let's, let's get going. Pack here. Uh, we're going. We're headed off on an adventure, and we've got this extraordinary destination. And man, we can't get away. We drop we drop everything immediately. We run looking for our fishing. It's the same thing with the gospel. If we tell it as Jesus told it, then some are going to reject it. But those who accept it realize that they immediately were ready to get in the car and let's go. Our, our gas tank is filled up. And for us, you know, analogously, it's our baptism. When we go through a baptism, we realize that on the other side of the baptism is a journey into the wilderness. We talked about this all last season. Into the, in, 
into the wilderness and eventually cross the Jordan again and go into our ultimate calling. We, it's not our ultimate destiny, but it's our calling on earth. Uh, we got to realize that telling of the gospel involves telling people that they're going on a trip. Not that they're going to vote a particular way as a political party. Not that they're just going to have a better marriage. All those things may or may not follow. Uh, change, transform, new heart. Okay, a new heart. All those things will follow, but, and here's the key, it's only out of the story, it's only out of the journey that those things occur. The, the beginning is we're going on an adventure. Okay, so let's take our, let's take our analogy again. Are you right? You ready for this? Okay, thank you, Tess. This is now the kingdom of God. I said, Tess, put something on there that's going to, Life and beauty and something. And so she put these, you can easily see green, right? Always water brings green. Uh, lack of water brings destruction and fire and all the things that we see going on actually physically right now on the West Coast. So here you have these two things. What is then the gospel? The gospel is simply this, that we are telling the story of this realm, which is unseen, invading the realm here, of this fallen, sin-stricken world. And there is now an overlap. The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God has invaded. Now, they understood as a type for almost 1,500 years, Israel understood that there was a place, a clean spot, if you will. There was a spot. You see this spot right in between where they overlap. That spot right there, and I can barely do it with two, one hand here, but this spot right here is in some way a clean spot, and God had given them this understanding. This is where we're going to have to begin to understand temple. Somewhere here in the midst of this, there was a temple, and somehow through the, the death of animals and spilled blood, this little place became a clean spot. This Holy of Holies, this temple, first a tabernacle, and then eventually under Solomon, as we'll see next week in 1 Kings chapter 8, a, an extraordinary temple. That we can think of as a clean spot. Somehow, some way, and I could go into greater detail and have in the past, somehow this blood of these animals, which seems crazy, I know to many in our culture, but in some way kind of absorbed the sin of the people. So they would come annually, and then also during these various festivals, they would offer these sacrifices, and we're coming up right now on the high holy days. We're, we're right there. In fact, Jews, many Jews around the world, now they don't have a temple. They don't have a clean spot, so they're creating new kinds of things. I saw even last night on the news over in Los Angeles, and of course this has happened around the world. Uh, there's no temple, there's no blood being spilled anymore. So now they still, what do we do with our sin? How do we create a clean spot? And so many Jews will go down, and uh, I saw a rabbi last night, he was out by a lake, and now what they've done is they've constructed this, not ever orchestrated by God in my view, certainly not biblically, uh, certainly nothing out of the Old Testament. They would take, por they take portions of bread, and they cast the bread into the waters and the ducks eat them. And, uh, and then that's their casting their sin somehow out of the water and hoping that God resolves this, I guess, to create the clean spot that used to be the function of the temple. 
All right, so that's what we have here. Well, what is this? So now we have, this is full of sin and death and destruction and all that. And now this temple picture pushes that apart. Now it's not everywhere. It's only very specifically in Jerusalem, only very specifically at a place that God had ordained that he would in some way, obviously he fills the universe, the Bible says, but he would kind of as a picture live in this Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies and you had a tabernacle or a temple clean spot and people would come there at various points in the year, certainly during the high holy days, the 10 days of awe leading up to the day of atonement and they would be clean again, but then they would what? Then they would leave the temple and then they would go right back in and, and get dirtied up pretty quickly. And then, so this had to be an ongoing, never ending bloodletting of all these animals to keep this clean spot and people would go to Jerusalem and then leave and go to Jerusalem and leave and go to Jerusalem or if they lived there a constant perpetual sacrifice fires didn't go out the altar always there and this went on until until Jesus invaded the earth what Jesus then was saying and are you ready for this and this is what we're going to talk more about next week what Jesus was claiming is that when these two things cross that the clean spot he is no longer going to be the temple. The clean spot is going to be himself. He's going to create the clean spot. He is going to become, are you ready for this? A mobile temple. He's going to become a replacement temple, as John Dixon calls it. A replacement temple. Now, what what is this? Ultimately, what does this mean? Now, you if you can have these constructs in your mind, firmly entrenched in your mind. And I'm going to give you some clear, on week three, I'm going to give you some even more clear talking points. But we have to just breathe this in. The preaching, the telling of the gospel has to talk about Jesus has come as Messiah, the king with all authority, not just over Israel, but over the whole cosmos. And Jesus has come as God. And as he invades the earth, he is here to cast out Satan's activity. The Bible is very clear. It says that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. And then I'll, I'll add this commentary and create clean spots, if you will. And of course, the clean spot is only can only be created in someone's heart. It's not a physical place where there's, well, you can go over there and that, that but we try to create clean spots, and, that, and that's what Jesus came to do. And so here's, here's the long game, all right? This is something God has done, not us just over here and we live our timeline and eventually God sends us one way or the other, depending on how we acted and what our particular theological views were. No, did you embrace the reality of what Jesus taught that the kingdom of God is invading the earth Believe in me, he said. Believe in what I'm telling you. My whole life will prove it. Believe in me and then immediately follow me, go on an adventure with me. And then what we're going to do is we're going to begin to see this happen. This is the goal. We're going to see this increased. We're going to see this increase. So you got to see Jesus, he didn't just stay here like a temple in one little place and you would go and watch him. He then went out and he began to take his little clean spots 
and he went into the sinners, people that weren't even going to the temple. He went to the, the Nerdy Wells and all the people out here and began to create these little clean spots in their hearts, and nobody really saw that coming. I mean, you got to go to the temple to get all that uh, for yourself. No, Jesus began to go, and then he began to teach his disciples, and he's still teaching us to do that today. That's what we're doing right now. I don't want you to stay right here in your own personal relationship with me in this clean spot uh, where my blood has now absorbed your sin. I want you to go back here. Why? So that this can begin to occur. So the kingdom. Now we pray this all the time. We talk about it all the time. Our Father who art in heaven. That doesn't mean somewhere way off in the cosmos that we can't see. And he occasionally looks down here with a telescope, uh, you know, the godly Hubble telescope and wonders what's going on on the earth. No, our Father who art in heaven, in a dimension that we cannot see. Uh, Andy calls this God space, and this is human space, apart from God, which always ends in disaster. And this God space, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Oh, your name is extraordinary, and your God space and your ways of doing things are extraordinary. We, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy kingdom, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. Jesus used both. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, where? On earth. This is already happening over here. This is full of life and flowers and beauty. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth. It's already being done here. As it is being done in heaven, here's what we're praying, that these clean spots would increase. The telling of the gospel has to understand this is a proclamation that the new sheriff is in town. The king of all the cosmos is in town and he has proven it with his life. So the entirety of his life, what he both did and what he taught. See, now there, there have been many gurus, religious uh, leaders, the genesis of many religions who say they got this special revelation and they teach. But as we're gonna see in weeks to come, they didn't teach with authority, not like Jesus. Uh, they didn't. They couldn't back it up. They didn't have authority over the demonic realm. They didn't have authority in all these other areas. Jesus proved these that this world was invading by beginning to cast out all the sin, death, and destruction. Not just teach about it. If Jesus just taught about it as some possibility, as some you know spiritual you know deep insight. Oh, it's spiritually deep and it's insightful. But he didn't just teach about it. What did we learn in Acts 1? Everything that he both did and everything that he taught. Jesus' activities in the earth proved once and for all that the unseen realm of the kingdom of God is invading. And in describing the kingdom of God, we began to be able to tell the story of Jesus. A story that doesn't revolve around us and what we do and everything that we do. Oh yeah, it involves it, but it's not the epicenter of it. It's not just this, and then one day we go heaven, and one day we go to hell. It's No, it's our story uh, tied up really in what his story is, what he's doing, what his, his activities. And all we're doing is we're believing into it. Okay, so that's week one, folks. Uh, I hope this is, again, if, you, if all three weeks are going to play into a schematic that I hope begins to form in your mind where you can sit... And I, I hope they're watching. I, I sat with a, a couple of women on different segments of my flight here recently to the Northwest, and, and they may be watching. I hope so. And I, won't, I don't, don't even know their last names, but Madeline and Mercedes, I sat next to both of them. 
on, on the flight. And I hope they're listening to this. I, I gave them fragments of this story, and that's what being spirit-led is. And I, and I hope both of them come and make a decision to go on a, an incredible journey with Jesus, not to be religious, not to be go on an incredible journey with religious, uh, with Jesus and believe into the kingdom, believe that Jesus was exactly who he said he was and that he has inaugurated the overthrow of this, of this Satan and his works in the earth. And this is our task. So I hope you get that. Uh, and then next week, I'm, I can't wait for next week because here's where we're going to go next week. We're going to talk about what did it mean that Jesus was the temple. And I think it's going to explode in your mind as you realize, oh, that's why Jesus did that. Oh, that's why Jesus said that. And I think it'll begin to, again, help you formulate a way to be compelling when you talk about the gospel. Let me close in prayer. Father, I thank you for this morning. Maybe somebody's watching uh, online or uh, obviously online, but uh, either in our church family or or maybe even outside that, and they say, oh, I think I begin to understand. I can believe that. I didn't understand the heaven and hell, and I still don't understand all about hell and that we go. And, and no, I, But now I think I can believe into Jesus' absorption of my sin. I, for some reason, I have faith that he can make me clean. He can make me clean, give me a new heart. And I believe, obviously, then if I'm going to follow him on an adventure, he, ha- he has to be raised from the dead. I can't be following a guy who's still dead uh, from, you know, 2,000 years ago and his the remains are in some coffin somewhere. So obviously, I believe he's raised from the dead and I have the faith to believe that. Well, I will tell you that now begin your journey. Be baptized. Be involved in a, in a life-giving church. Start your journey with Jesus, and then you'll be equipped along the way, and you'll understand as you go. We're on a need-to-know basis. So maybe that's you this morning. So just pray, Lord. I'm sorry. For, I'm sorry for living in this realm, Lord. And and I was I was a part of I was part of the problem, but now, Lord, I want to enter this clean spot through your atoning blood on the cross. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Hey, love all of you. Let's close with this worship song for those of you who are watching on the website and not the YouTube channel. And uh, and I'll see you next week.